0: lifeless soulless this kind of lovely fancy stadium literally just manufactured plopped in an area on a university campus one of the best teams in the world as we all know but no no soul no heart lifeless atmosphere and no recollection of the nothing, history you were saying not, and it? nothing like yeah. nothing outside the ground with, you know old players or statues it was like as if this was formed 15 years ago and here we go like you yeah. know you are listening to House of Football brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill
1: Hello, I'm Eric Lawler. Welcome to House of Football with Sports Joe and William Hill. Delighted to say episode 15 is graced by show regular Mr. Alan Colley. Al, you're very welcome. Thanks very much for coming up again. Thanks a million, Eric. Good to see you. And we're very delighted to uh, to have uh, a first-time guest on the show. It's Daniel Lambert, Chief Operating Officer at Bohemian Football Club. Dan,
2: thanks for coming along. No bad, Eric. Good to see you.
1: Great to see you. Um, so we'll, we'll, just, we'll get the chat going. Uh, Dan, obviously... Uh, you're, you're seen as one of these uh, uh, innovative minds in the League of Ireland and and Bowles has grown exponentially under your uh, stewardship over the last few years. I'm not saying it's just you, there's, a, there's an army of volunteers and, and p- great people behind the scenes doing all the work. But just going back to the start, uh, Dan, uh, how you got involved with Bowles. Obviously, uh, your dad's a big Bowles man and we had a brief conversation yesterday, or this morning um, when I assumed that your dad was on the board before you, and that's how. But that, that's not the case. Could you just explain to us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I think everyone
2: assumes that because like age or you know, father and son or whatever. Now I joined the board before my dad did. I would say joined. Obviously, you get you get elected, uh, and and then um, my dad has great skills and he and he's he's, he's very talented. And mm-hmm. uh, I kind of said to him, and I said to the board, and I was on the board. Look, I think some skills here that he could bring. So it was the other way around. But uh, I know why everyone makes the assumption, obviously. So, your dad got the job because of you, then? <laughs> <laughs> don't I think, don't think it's a job most people want to be, to yeah. be fair. Um, um. When, but even going, just going back to like
1: as a kid, uh, you, you were obviously a regular at Daily Mount. Yeah. Uh, Your yeah. dad bringing you down and all that, and you yeah. formed a relationship and the love of the club and all that. And.
2: Yeah, yeah. My, my granddad was a League of Ireland referee, uh, Jack O'Burn, he was a founder member of the Irish Referees Association. So he he refed at high level, lots of lots of uh FAI like Cup finals and things like that. So um my dad ran a football club, um, Dunsink YC. He started out as a youth club. It was uh, he set it up very young with a group of his mates, I think maybe about twenty to get kids off the streets in Finglas really um, and it was it was lots of things when it started before I was born it was lots of things it was I think they'd pinball machines and it was just get young off the streets um, and then it, it morphed into kind of a football team yeah. so uh, I would have spent every Sunday um, at a Dunsink game their home ground was up beside Aaron's Oil there Oh, I uh, know it yeah near the south in Finglas and then away games and it was Sunday Sunday football, they got very good towards the end, they got promoted. But when I was going as a kid, they were, it was just you know, it was a piss up, really Yeah, yeah. it was a pub team, basically. Yeah, yeah and <laughs> I'd be selling spot the balls from about age five and <laughs> pubs in fingers. So already you're involved in marketing at an early age. <laughs> <laughs> I had to sell the spot the balls. I think I got pounds for each spot the ball I filled. And when I got older, I could go down the road to the next pub and sell a few. But um, no, I mean, that brought me to Daily Mount. We 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 grew up in fingers and we used to get the 40 down. Um, down from Finglas, down to Mount and um, my uncle Jimmy, who who passed there recently, would come with us, and and uh, a, a guy Ian, one of one of a family friend, um, would go. So the four of us would go home and away, and um, you know, we just it was just something we, we did together, and went to like Aberdeen away, and you know, some great days. and I remember probably my standout memory when we went there first was I'd go down, it was put me down, it was cheaper to go into the Connacht street uh, it was it was cheaper to go in there, yep. so we'd go in there and have the first half in there, and normally stand on the tramway. Uh, winter football, obviously, and then there was a fella. I think not many people would be on the Connock Street. Well, and me and my guy, dad would have
1: been there, Dan. I'm surprised we never
2: bumped into each other. Yeah, we, we, we must have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I like, loved it, but the, your man would let you in a half time into the Jody. I think yeah. it was free at half time if it wasn't full. So at half time, you go in and meet the mates from school and stuff like that, so yeah, yeah just just always went there and you mentioned there like you
1: brought skill you you offered like you, these skills that you could bring to Bose. um can you tell us a little bit about that because from from as long as I've known you Dan i mean there was a, there was a portion of your time when you were working for the, you know
2: in the United Nations in
1: New York can you explain a little bit about that what what that was all about
2: Yeah, I suppose. Well, joining the board, I I basically, um, I I studied kind of business and marketing and there was a guy, um, Donald uh, Byrne was the Bose marketing director, I suppose, and he he looked for volunteers. And our marketing, and it's not like, it's what everyone did. The, The kind of marketing then was really posters. Make a poster, put it in a local chipper, that, that, that kind of thing. Go to a school, give them free tickets. Um, nothing wrong with that type of work. It's obviously quite basic, but that's what everyone was doing. And I remember going and volunteering a bit with Donald, and he said, and said to me one day, Look, I don't really know what I'm doing here. I'm just trying to help, help out. And he did know that he did great work and he yeah. continues to do great work. But he kind of said, You know, you've studied this. Why don't you go for the board? I think it was maybe 20, it was 2011, so it was maybe 22, 21. And um, I, I ended up being elected onto the board. I've done lots of roles during the years uh, uh, when I was on the board. But um, yeah, and I ended up, I did a master's in uh, international law and conflict. Um, did a thesis on like the NATO invasion in Libya to be interested in that type of thing. And then um, worked in Department of Foreign Affairs Political Division in Dublin. Um, thing called the Conflict Resolution Unit, which is about Ireland's lessons from Northern Ireland and bringing them internationally. And then ended up going over as an advisor to the UN in 2013. So I was on the board of Bose, still at the UN, and I remember I remember probably late, long enough past that I can say it now, I was meant to meant to do a vote um, at the UN, and we were playing shells. It was a big game. We we, we could have went down that year. I think we won 3-0 in Talker Park. I was watching that on, on the iPad. <laughs> in the UN building? Uh, yeah, and, and I nearly missed a, a vote for Ireland. <laughs> I, had the, I had the thing muted watching the game, you know. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, that, that's that's what that was, and it was a great, great, it was a great thing to have experienced, you know.
1: Yeah, uh, Al, you're, you're, you've, you've seen what Dan has mm-hmm. brought to the league, and particularly with Bowes, and uh, 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 what's your impressions of what he's done at the at the club? Yeah, it's, and the league it's in a, general. It's
0: amazing, really, Eric. Um, I suppose we've kind of struck up a friendship as well, Dan, over the years, and and following the work that they've done, and my little lad I bring him down to Daly and he's kind of has a soft spot for Bose as well so I generally nights that I'm not working I I'd, I'd go down there and I've seen the work I've seen it at close hand Um, the good people that are involved the Bohemians as well um, and it's amazing really the turnaround in the fortunes off the pitch yeah. Um, and obviously they're trying to grow that and get better on the pitch now and I think in the last two or three years we can see that kind of gap closing to the top teams in their competing for European and the European run itself kind of brought huge eyes on the club as well the renovation with the stadium and the work that's going to happen now as well can't happen quick enough because I think the only thing that's probably hampering the club at the moment is the demand for tickets yet they can't facilitate all the people and the demand that's there which is unbelievable and all the years I was playing and obviously since I've stopped playing and going to the games I never thought we'd be in a situation where you'd have waiting lists for season tickets and you'd have fellas outside and can't get in and the amount of people that come up to me even non-football people that might just be friends even a couple of neighbours come up to me recently and says I'd love to bring the young fella down and I'm saying we'll head down to Daly Mountain somewhere close by or Talca Park and say we can't get tickets like it's it's a brilliant complaint to have yet it's unfortunate that we have it at the moment but that will change but I think in terms of Dan itself um, phenomenal work on and off the pitch and I think that was epitomised there a couple of weeks go and I'm sure we'll touch on it, but um the sad passing of Christy Dignam and straight away there was the, the jersey was out and look at what was raised in in there kind of the following days that that followed on from that game against Shamrock Rovers and luckily enough we covered it on T V as well so the exposure it got. But stuff like that or it really is, it's remarkable and it just goes to show it can be done. You have just the right a people, at the right vote, kind of yeah, good yeah. characters, people who care, people who are passionate, people who want to make change. Um it's amazing what can be achieved and it's great to see. That, uh, I'll just touch on it there, Dan. Where are we exactly at the moment with the with the,
1: the redevelopment of Daily Mount? Uh, I,
2: I kinda of call now like the Eye of the Storm or such so there was the battle to get into there was the battle I suppose to get the stadium bought, like this is that was that happened in 2015 by DCC to secure its future, and then I suppose there's the battle, you know, politically and um, local and national government to get as well as support for the stadium, and then just to get it through um, to a point where we have the plans, uh, you know, in place, and we've all that's been achieved. And right now, planning gets submitted on the 25th of August, so in in six weeks, seven weeks or so. Um, because it's a part-day planning application, that means it's Dublin City Council applying to itself. Okay. So the benefit of that is it's it's uh, there can still be uh, objections and things, but DCC go through all of you can imagine. We've had bat surveys, traffic, no, like I'm, everything you can imagine, you know, and things you couldn't imagine have been done. And so that they they prepare for all eventualities and they link in, I suppose, with the other departments in DCC. That gets submitted on the twenty fifth twenty uh, fifth of August. I think it's a twenty week process to to planning. So we'd have planning by the end of the year and the reason I call it the oil of the storm there's nothing we can really do right now the, through the planning process there's been public consultations and we've had lots of consultations with, with DCC and then we were in the Dáil, um two weeks ago myself and Matt Devaney, the, the current uh, Bohemians president um, and me and Matt would have worked on this along with Chris Bryan before that for, since 2011 really um, and the government now have to bring their kind of pot of money to the table I suppose it's, it's a thing called the large scale sports infrastructure fund Stream 2 and there's uh, full full support for it. So we'd expect that to be granted. We're hoping there's no delays in the grant because one of the two things slowed Daily Mount down until now. One of them was the external environment and that was uh, construction inflation. Um, And really, you know, you could make a plan today and with construction inflation, you could add tens of millions on. And the other thing was obviously the decision of Shelburne to remove themselves, which needed the redesign anyway because it was a stadium design for two clubs. It's very different for one. It's actually much simpler. Um, So we're in a... It's it's a weird weird time for me now because we're like... and, And for the board and we've done what we can do and then once the planning's granted we'll be, we'll be you know, doing a lot of lobbying at, at, at national government level.
1: Are you happy with the progress of it, Dan, though? Like, I mean, you seem right, right, it's out of your hands now, you've done all you can do, it's in the hands of other people. Are you happy with the progress? Because Daily to all intents and purposes, is the home of Irish football. Mm. You would think there would be a groundswell of support from all areas to, to have it redeveloped and make it this, this beautiful community uh, facility as well as a football club. Are you happy enough with how fast it's going at the moment?
2: No, it could have went faster and there was delays for different reasons. One of them was a bureaucratic thing where there was it, it was a delay of about fifteen months in the chief state solicitor's office for the drawdown of the last fund. Like what that means in reality, who knows? I know like, that's what the I've just said, what happened there you know, what happened to other funds as well, and um, was obviously COVID, which was a big delay in terms of the design team. They're working remotely, but I think nothing happens in Ireland fast, unfortunately, uh, especially with construction. Um, I think to get it to a stage where planning will be granted, and there is that groundswell of support. You know, Dublin City Council and the state all together between the purchase price, the money to maintain it, the demolition, the design work. I reckon I've spent about eight or nine million, and I don't think. And somebody, Tony O'Connell, uh, the Bowes on a real life present when we started out on this road, <laughs> kind of had so I used to call up them for advice, and he said, uh don't bring up the problems too early. You know, once people have spent enough, they have to continue on. <laughs> Great bit of advice. Yeah, and, he, and he's right, because once you get to this stage now, you know... You're well down the track. It ha- has to happen. It doesn't make sense for yeah. it not to... and, and You it.
0: mentioned there, Dan, sorry about the um, the government funding or the pot, the way you phrased it, and it should all go ahead. But you also said objections could still happen. If there was objections, where would they be coming from? It's hard to see, really. Like Daily So. It's it's
2: zoned as a sports sports and recreation football stadium that stays the capacity used to be much bigger so it's actually coming down although in recent years you know it's going at the moment it's five it's going to eight but you know it was was so much bigger than that so it's hard to think when Mm. a lot of life for the surrounding houses gets better because the the pitch orientation moves so you never know you know I I don't think like touchwood I don't see it being a major Mm. issue because it's it's not like you're going to a greenfield site and you're introducing you know, new people to an area, stuff like that. It's, mm. it's, it's a continuation of a very old football stadium. And um, and keeping the ground, I know it's an obvious point, but keeping Daily Mount, when you think back, like I often think that if the deal had a went ahead pre-crash and the plan was that we went to Harristown and we got 50 million, 50 million, you'd spend 50 million. You wouldn't think you wouldn't leave it, but you would, you'd spend it quite quickly. And I think we would have ended up out, you know, out by Dublin Airport, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Yeah. And and I really think that's probably a saving grace. It might seem like it and it caused years of pain, but... To stay in daily mounts, um, it's the soul of the club, hundred percent. And people want to go there. Look, if you lose a game, which every club will lose games. There's loads of bars. There's places to get food. It's easy to get to. <laughs> yeah. Easy to bring mates to. Yeah. And and that's
0: important. You know, mm-hmm. I think being out on the periphery of a city. Well, even well, so it,
1: many bus routes go through Fisbert as well, like from
0: all over the city. Totally, you know. But well, you mentioned here, Eric, about being the home of Irish football. It's the history and heritage that goes yeah. with it. And you want to hold on to that and, yeah. and kind of harness that as long as possible. Forever. Yeah. You want it forever. We see in the modern world now when people, as you say, and I know they're upgrading to fancy stadiums and all, but there's still something kind of beautiful about that old history, heritage. And if you can hold on to it, obviously make the Improvements that are needed, but still your heart is still in, in the one place. Hundred percent. So I one think, thing you
2: can't buy is authenticity, and maybe we might talk about it later. But like having the fan-owned model, totally like you can have all the money in the world, but you can't buy authenticity. You just can't do it. You can talk about things, and but at the core of it, that that isn't there. And I think you know history and the a stadium a location that, that you can't you can't
0: recreate. I it, use the know? example. I went to Man City. I think I said it to you about three or four years ago over oh, to yeah. watch a game lifeless, soulless, this kind of lovely fancy stadium literally just manufactured, plopped in an area on a university campus one of the best teams in the world, as we all know, but no no soul, no heart, lifeless act, And no recollection of the nothing, history you were saying, not, it? And nothing, like yeah. nothing outside the ground with, you know, old players or statues. It was like as if this was formed 15 years ago and here we go, like, you yeah.
2: know. I went main, my dad was a City fan years ago, he doesn't really doesn't follow the Premier League anymore, but I went to Main Road with him and I remember going to a pub near the ground, I was only a kid, there was, there was, I remember going in and they only sold cans of whatever everyone was drinking and they were 2 or £3. Pounds. And it was just Oasis on full blast, yeah. <laughs> all, all blokes in, and I was like, "This is brilliant, yeah. you know." Yeah. This, it's probably gone, gone. Yeah. all yeah. gone now. Yeah.
0: It,
1: I'll just touch it there, Dan. Do you think that's the difference between the League of Ireland and, say, the Premier League? That lack of soul, that lack of yeah, it's, authenticity.
2: It's hard to see. It's, it's, it's difficult to so, say. Like I, I've, like Alan, there. I've been to a few Premier League games uh, uh, and to, to the grounds. The last time I was actually over there, I went to a, a European game with Kevin Branigan. I know he's on. He's on second captain's outcome. I think we went to a game, a European game. I can't even remember who they played. We left at halftime. I genuinely, we left at halftime. I, I found the thing to be one of the most boring experiences. And I thought Anfield, European game. I think it's just, it's like most things, I suppose, like, it like, might seem like a mad thing. but remember the stock car racing that was on my buddy airport years ago? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used yeah. to go out to that, right? <laughs> With Dan. I remember, that was brilliant. That stuff's gone because it's a bit dangerous, I assume. Right, yeah. right? And it's like the edge has gone off most things. It's and, and the Premier League is probably an extreme of that. And why is it an extreme? Because it's global capital. It's global money. And global money doesn't like risk. It mm-hmm. likes to protect what it has. Drive up prices, remove risk. And I think that League of Ireland has a bit more rawness to it. I think there's obviously things that, you know, the league want to eradicate into safety issues with things like flares. But they do exist. And they create a point of difference. And I think that overall, the league has a better experience. And I'd be really reluctant to say something like VAR. You know, like... If you just had a European discussion with other clubs, it might seem like a good idea, and it's coming into Europe now, and I think Sherlock Rovers mm. will have will have bar, right. It, yeah. To me, that'd be ter- a terrible thing to bring in. Okay. It, it, there was a big survey done on English fans, 82% of them regret it coming in. And Hit the main it. reason they gave is the spontaneity of the football mm. experience is gone. Yeah, you, you don't know whether to cheer or not. Yeah, yeah. So things like that, I think we've got to be smart about what we do with the league that you don't just follow suit with what everyone else does. You know, have something that is the game of football, the global game, but have bits that are different. Still ours. Exactly. Yeah. exactly yeah. To show your identity.
1: As a as a culture and as a league,
2: just to create the, ex- the experience. Yeah. Like, what is a football game? It's a it's a it's a it's a big communal experience between people. Whether it's in the bar before the game, in the stadium, the players, the fans. It's all this interaction going on, and if it becomes just about solely about just the guys on the pitch and and not about what the fans experience, and I think that. Uh, from it. Dan.
1: Like when you came in, you, you mentioned you took over from the, the the I forget his name. Sorry, the, the lad. Donald Byrne. Donald. Yeah. Sorry, Donald. Look, uh, looking after the marketing and he said he was doing a very basic type of marketing. When you sat down and looked using the knowledge you'd acquired through education, what was the thing that jumped out into you first? What did you see that Bose needed to do better?
2: Um, I don't know like you said at the start I should say like you know I'm very keen to like like you know I've worked hard at Bose has of as of countless other people and 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 so many people like right now people who've passed like Mono, you know, so many people did so much work. So it's definitely not about what, what I did I was involved in it with other people. But I think that the most obvious thing back then was we went from a position, like I, I joined the board in 2011, Pat Fenlon was still the manager at the time, He's come full circle, obviously Pat back directors as director of football. We cut our budget by 93%, wow. and I know people have, but that's the truth, that's what yeah. happened. And um, we went from a position where what the, the way the club was set up, and most clubs are still set up like this in in my opinion, and it's changing thankfully a bit. What The top process was a successful team on the pitch will create a successful club off the pitch which is totally incorrect and it won't work for anybody. And I'd, I'd try and find anybody who can give an example of that bar having unlimited resources. Um, and we went from a position where what we were selling was a team who like, our, you know, I remember like obviously Roddy being there and, you know, great European trips. And we were selling success on the pitch. And I remember when we budget uh, for Gates, if the team is doing well, we should have more people. And what we needed to do as a club was we went to a position where we were definitely not going to win anything. We were possibly going to be relegated and I think it was a great achievement that we weren't. And people like Aaron yeah, Callahan job, yeah. and yeah. Owen Heary in the early days of Keith that that didn't happen. But we then had to figure out, what are you, if we've gone from a point where we're selling you, come here and see a team win a game. To right, the team is probably not going to win. What else, what else can we, hmm. could we get a sense of pride in the club that if someone walked out the door on a Friday and we lost, they were disappointed, but they were still proud of that club. And, and that they had this sense that they want to be a member, they want to contribute, they want to volunteer. And on the flip side, commercial partners, you know, because we used to have contracts, and I've seen them, we've known now, thankfully, where the commercial contract was set up in a way where if we got to the cup final, we got more. If we won a league, okay. we got more. All so the incentive result, incentives. Yeah, yeah and, what, and what is that for the commercial partner? It's just, solely, it's just solely their profile on a back page of a paper or on TV. Which on is one very, day. Yeah, it's very hollow. Where now we go to a commercial partner and say, like, you know, our... our Community planners here in front of us. We will do this, 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 and this. We'll behave in this way as a club. Way bigger commercial contracts over longer periods of time, and if we're successful on the pitch, that's that's a bonus. We're not we're not yeah. selling you that, right? You know, and likewise for the. So that was the the approach for marketing is, what can we do that's one, cost no money, two is outside the box because outside the box attracts attention. If you do what everyone else is doing, you know, you're just a, a small league of Ireland club in media terms. So just bringing those things together, more guerrilla marketing and you know, stuff like the appointment of a club poet and, you know, our own beer and graffiti spray jams and all this stuff Climate was mocked. Did you was, did you
0: know, Dan, say, from in those early days, you said you came on the board of 2021 and obviously with Donal and going out with the posters. But could you tell the potential that was in the club in terms of stuff that the market that wasn't being tapped into of all those things that if you were to bring them to the table?
2: No, I don't think so, no. No, I think we did. I think when you try and do stuff a bit different, it was became... I've looked back on it and tried to do a, a presentation. I went over to the Dutch FA a couple of weeks ago to give a presentation to their clubs. It was more or less on this, like looking at bows over 10 years. And I think some things, there was sort of a tipping point maybe, I know that's like a kind of corporate term, but around 2017, 18. It's also a great quiz show,
1: one of my favourite quiz shows. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> no tipping point. Ben <laughs> Shepard. No chase. <laughs> <laughs> chase. I love the chase too. much better. <laughs>
2: but, uh, it started to be this point where we realised that things were growing, but then it just, just, it was like it all just started to happen where there was exponential growth, which is what's happened now. And that's hard to manage as well. But, um, yeah, I suppose it's what, like, you know, I've said this before, like, what are you saying to someone, really, if you're, if you're deciding as Eric Lawler, I'm going to follow this team, or you're Alan Collin, I'm going to follow this team, what is that about? If it's about you, you want to win the league every year, you may give up, because if one of your team does that, the league is going to be absolutely terrible, mm-hmm. and if it doesn't happen, you're going to be disappointed. So you should have hope, of course, and mm-hmm. the team do great, but there should be something about the club that makes you feel like you, you have a sense of pride, um, you know, and, and you have a love for the club, not for the team. For the, for the club itself. The club,
1: yeah. you know And I think, I mean, just to give you a very, very, very uh, rare, uh, raw example is it, like last night, Leinster Senior Cup semi-final, coming off the back of a terrible defeat against Sligo on Friday. At Leinster Senior, I were t- arrived down the ground thinking it'd be about 20 boss fans. Or a, like we brought like, what was it, 650 something, like a mental number. And going, what, yeah. what, what are they go, what are they? I thought I was the only lunatic going there in the rain <laughs> last night and the whole away end was full. And Shell's brought a sizable support there. So that immediately tells that what you just said there, there's a bit of authenticity, there's a bit of truth behind it. Because if they were looking for success, nobody would have turned up last mm. night. I mean, still sulking over Friday, but they went in their droves last night and cheered on them young lads to 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 an, an amazing win, great win for Troy against sales. Anyway, um, <laughs> but um, but Dan, I want to talk to you about the the jerseys, okay? Because let's let's be honest, they're the biggest, you know, they're, they're, they're the things that get bows the most publicity in the press and and uh, and and I suppose quite often they're a stick to be beat, to beating us with by other clubs and all that kind of thing And you know some of that is from jealousy begrudging whatever um, but did you quickly identify Dan I suppose that jerseys could be uh, you know for want of a better expression usually uh, a, 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 a tool to push Bows forward like you know get them out there put them out into beyond Bows fans and just get them out into the press did you realise that okay this jersey is going to cause an impact it's going to cause a ripple in the no, press no not
2: really actually. no it kind of now I've realised loads of stuff that I didn't obviously would have happened. But like I should probably premise this with like Des Kelly as a main shirt partner. Des Kelly have allowed Fontaine's shirts, yeah. refugees welcome shirts. Obviously Aslan, I think three three times they've they've allowed us to do this. Deserve an enormous credit. I do on the flip side on the commercial side of it. I do and I, and and I firmly believe that by doing these things, where there's social good and there's a, and there's, and it creates a kind of a. I suppose increased kind of coverage of the club that does also benefit the whole club, including the commercial partner. But the the refugees welcome shirt, like we, we we've done a lot of work with, with migrants, like an awful lot of work. It's been brilliant work. It's i it, have learned so much from it myself. I know lots of other club members where I didn't know what the rep provision was. It was it was Kevin Brannigan again who yeah. who originally was doing that work. And you know, that that was I think twenty nineteen maybe we, we did that shirt, of twenty twenty and the, that just came out of a place where you thought like what's the highest profile thing at a club is, is the shirt really um, you know in terms of the football space and was there a way I suppose of doing something with a shirt where you'd get football fans thinking about an issue maybe that isn't normally covered in sports media and it was a huge huge success and we obviously did it with Amnesty International and we called for an end to the provision and, and um, it, it raised a lot of money it raised a lot of people spoke about something they wouldn't normally speak about and um, and since then, I suppose we've done lots of other shirts. But to me, if you think about it, like if you're the League of Ireland is a small league. So I think we're ranked thirty third at the moment. We might get to thirty. Mm. We're never going to go beyond be, be twenty. Let's say right. maybe twenty five. We're going to remain. We're going to remain a small European league. If we reach all our potential, we're still a small European league. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're a small country, right? So if that's the case, and you're Bohemians, like we would have sold five hundred home shirts, hundred away. As it got bigger, maybe eight nine hundred home. 150 away like they're not really proper income streams for the club and also mm-hmm. they what are they doing you know like they're not you know you're not linked to a cause or you are not. so I think that by kind of doing these shirts what's happened is you've got that global football audience of people who love football but we're a small league so they're not going to be interested in our league for football reasons because the best players aren't going to be in our league and um, but they might have common values with you so you might have someone in London or Birmingham or wherever, in America, Germany, who feels about football that, you know, that it should do social good, that maybe they respect the fan-owned model um, and lots of other things that are inherent in our club and they could like that. So what we found out with the shirts is, you know, the vast majority of our shirts go outside of Ireland. The people who will never come to Dalyman Park, who don't know who Jonathan Afolabi is or Keith Buckley, and there's nothing wrong with that, yeah. but they identify with this as something that they see as a good a good part of football when there's lots of parts as problems with. And if they buy our shirts... And help raise money for other issues. It helps us as a club, helps the the causes that we've stood for. And um, there's, there's no commonality one, with them. Common. That's it. all it is. Yeah. And I think that otherwise, if you're a Bohemians or League of Ireland, you can't access the global football market because mm. you're not selling the best players for the most part. You get the odd one, um, you know, and you're not playing the best players because they're in the Premier League or La Liga or whatever. But you can have common values that that do link with the global football market
1: and you mentioned uh, um like did was, was the clubs that you even looked at and studied and visited to 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 bring this this whole ethos to to bohemian football club
2: yeah we did some initially it's funny now because they've had it to show you how things are cyclical i remember it, initially speaking to lot, Right. Um, back when we were in trouble because Cork were really flying obviously they had their problems afterwards and hopefully those days are behind clubs here Visit FC United a couple of times they came to visit us and we had a friendly that's right I remember that uh, Some Pauli and some of their directors came over they're very interesting so, some stuff we're doing now and like 10 years later is just what they do holding member forums they're obviously very strong in merchandise but that's split from the club so ours are still fully in the club okay. uh, which is great um, Union more recently there seems to be if, if you look at leagues around Ireland but whether it's Malmo Real Betis uh, FC in, in England, it's a much smaller clubs because of the, the amount of finance mm. in the game. But in Germany, with their ownership model, it's more common. But there seems to be one or two clubs in each market Venezia now in, in, in Italy. Now, they're privately owned and they're, it's kind of a merchandising operation, really, right. uh, with high fashion kind of tagged onto it. But there seems to be a couple of clubs in each league who, who kind of do their business a little bit differently, where they're trying to have, have a bigger impact and maybe bring in more revenue in a different way. Okay. But we try to marry that with
0: a social conscience if that makes sense. yeah, yeah. And, and it's worked When so. you see clubs copying that model, as you say, they say, the presentation to German clubs and some, some of them doing now stuff that you were doing 10 years ago, it's almost validation for kind of what you were doing and, and, and the correct decisions that were made over that period of time. So it, it's, it's unbelievable, really, when you see that. Because as you said, it's easy for us to think we're a small league over here and no one really cares. But when you see clubs across Europe Copying the models that yeah. we have, we always think we have to copy their models. Yeah, yeah. Well, Here's clubs from the ah, outside. It's, you
2: it's, know? Mad. it's mad. It's like I remember someone said. I thought it was a up but good, good and you. will not mind me saying it. Martin Connolly, who's is obviously the general manager at the dock, I, I get on very well. At Martin, as, as as with most clubs, like it's great that there's full time staff at most yeah. clubs now. And mm. you know, obviously, I, you know, Lynn was here for so long at Bowes when I came into the role. Now you've got full time people at Morris, Morris, every club, and. General managers, CEOs, COOs, so relationships
0: with these people. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Like, and I mean, would you be sharing knowledge with them yeah, now? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it's
2: really important that we do. We, we mentioned Connor Hoy before we came on. You know, I'd speak to really all the other, the, you know, your peers at the other clubs and and share knowledge. And it helps everybody. But I remember Martin ringing me and he said um, it was when when Bill was there, the, the American owner, and uh, he said. Uh, I'm doing a a master's course here online uh, from Barcelona. (laughs) And I said, I must be fucking tons of money at the dock. And he goes, well, yeah, you won't believe what kind of shite is on on my screen here. And I went, what? And he goes, it's all about bloody bones. (laughs) I said, what? And he sent me screenshots and they, they had dozens of pages on, as a case study, kind of thing. From Barcelona. Now, where they got this stuff, oh, I have no idea. And it shows you, too, to Barcelona's credit, like nothing's beneath them. You'd imagine now, you know, yeah. Bowes League of Ireland. And they had all these pages of stuff that we'd done, which is mad. A mad thing to but, see, you know. But even recently, like, like you know, the, the climate justice officer that was
1: appointed, and obviously it was another stick to, oh, like I believe it. They're trying to save the planet as well you now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but yeah. just. Just wasn't there a meeting in Dalyman recently where like uh, Betis and Valencia and a couple of big Spanish and Dutch clubs came to
2: Dalyman for a meeting. Yeah, yeah. Like
1: yeah. tell us a little bit about that and what, what yeah. that was
2: about. Well it's probably like doing the climate stuff I think all clubs should do this and um I'm actually in a few weeks ago, I think we can gone over to Estonia to speak to some of their clubs similar to the Dutch thing. And and like a core part of this, if you're a club, right, there's going to be clubs have have a high profile in their communities. Just football has high profile. So if, if you add up an example, if you add up all the social media accounts of football clubs in Europe and compare them to political parties, I think football clubs are about 50 times more. Wow, wow. People, right? So all the political parties could put something out, but all the football clubs and 50 times more people will see it. Wow. But basically... Because clubs have that profile, in every area, there's people who are talented or have skills and whatever. So whether you're into graffiti or the, the art side of it, let's say you're a great designer, videographer, Jamie, you does the videos, you've met Eric. And, um, you know, you'd have people, um, you know, who, who they might be into anything, graffiti artists. But then you, you take someone like Sean, who's a climate officer. Sean was just a neighbor. I didn't really know him. He started going to Bows, He lived around the corner corner from me in Fisberg. And uh, it turns out Sean's a, a really, you now a world expert on, like, he advises uh, the Irish government at the United Nations and okay. he's a proper, like, knowledgeable person on climate. He,
1: he's, a, he's a male Greta Thunberg. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Ready to get more sick for that now. But, uh,
2: <laughs> but he is and he, and he cares about it. And uh, and I suppose, like, what is the biggest issue for young people? Client, it is the biggest issue, right? So kind of said, like right, why don't we ask Sean as a volunteer to come into this role, which he did. And since then, Sean, and I mean, say, you know, he's brought in funding. I should be careful. None of this funding impacts one IOTA on the pitch. So, we've recently got a big award for, uh, from Pubble. It's about half a million euros, but it's set up a climate cooperative in Fibsbury. I will, that's where I'll leave it because Sean knows the intric- like how it works in detail. But basically, bringing someone in like Sean, he's enabled us to work with. He 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 wrote a funding application, a European level one that got, so I think you've named some of the clubs: yeah. Real Betis, Verte Bremen, a number of other clubs. We're the lead club in it. He was on a call with them, I think, this morning when I left the office. And it's enabled us to form these networks across Europe with big clubs, but on a basis where we're equal. On, on social good okay. I've no doubt there'll be football benefits and like Union like the friendly from Union yeah that was incredible came from a relationship through club marketing yeah. so there is spin off benefits but that again is the club now is going to be a leader in fibsprint and Dublin 7 on climate action and that that's fine mm. that doesn't negatively impact the pitch if anything it helps because there's more more exposure the club. yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And Al, from your time uh, playing in the League of Ireland, mm. can you see the massive change already and how is it How is it different now than to, to your day playing in the League? Yeah, it's
0: incredible. It really is, Eric. And even, that's going back maybe 20 years ago, but I would have started the media stuff, say, 10 years ago and I can even see the changes since then. And it would have been stuff, say, I remember starting, writing columns for RT's website. That's when I first started getting involved in the media stuff. And you would have been critical of things and particularly around facilities. I was always banging the drum about facilities and... Um, and it, for this is the first, and I've said this numerous times over the last probably year or eighteen months. This is the first time since I was a player, even going back since I was a fan, a young fella going to matches. But since I was a player and the media stuff covering maybe twenty years, that I can genuinely feel something's happening, good in the league here, mm. and that's not over-egging it or over overhyping it because it takes. I'm I'm quite fussy. It takes me a lot to kind of, you know, start saying good things. the situation, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But in terms of, you don't want to overhype things or over-egg things either. But I can genuinely feel, because of the great work with Daniel and he mentioned other clubs and the fact that they're um, not necessarily singing off the same hymn sheet, but the fact that they're kind of sharing knowledge and they want better for all the clubs and, and they're working kind of um, in unity, rather than against each other, because I always felt that was a major problem over the years as well. It was us against you, and yeah. whereas if we're ever going to grow the thing for the good of everyone, we all have to be kind of sharing the pie picture. a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I can see massive changes, Eric. I really can. Just on the on the football one, though, Daniel. Like, see what the you mentioned here about when you come on the board as well, and. Your original plan or idea was the fact that it wasn't selling the the fans just success or winning a league title, but it was more, can we be proud of our club? And whether we win, lose or draw, you're proud of our club. How difficult was to change people's frame of mind on that? Because Boz, going back to again when I was a player, Boz were winning leagues, winning cups, whatever. Obviously, there's been the last 10 years maybe where they haven't been winning, but just to get people on board with that.
2: Uh, It's much harder now. It was easy then because we'd done money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's very easy to okay. say You know There's no money to spend We've we've all Like the club could have been Closed down it's been, It has been was well publicised So it's actually simple enough Now it's probably A little bit more difficult And you know what's A little bit frustrating Is that if you took bows, If we were doing What we're doing now Back then We would win leagues okay. That makes sense the, Our ability to probably You know Have better commercial partners Better merchandise income such bigger membership numbers. Now some of it wouldn't happen because there is the overall growth of the league. But what's what's kind of frustrating is as we've kind of gotten our kind of house in order and done things a little bit differently and 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 you know expanded the football staff and and you know the backroom team, the full-time setup, all these things that we've we've been able to do sustainably in that same time period a lot of clubs have sold to quite wealthy mm. owners. Mm. So the goalposts have moved mm. and it's still a big challenge in any league. But and in
0: errors like others to be you know but I would say Dan the period of say we'll just use 10 years right because going back the period that it's taken you to get your house in order in that 10 years say and to put the structures in place that are in place now off the pitch in terms of being fully sustainable full time um, positions roles taken up where it's not just about managers and players or whatever people off the pitch you mentioned the climate officer all those things to me, if a club wants to be sustainable and get their house in order, I think all those things have to be done. And if that means you don't win anything for 10, 20 years, okay. but for the greater good down the, down the line and you will see the fruits of this, as you said, in the next 5, 10 years maybe, and you will be winning league titles, I would I would go through 10 years of pain all day long to get mm-hmm. to that. Totally. I agree. The, the challenge with that, I know Eric's
2: like the challenge with that is at a fan-owned football club, the biggest trend you have and the biggest weakness is the fan-owned model. Yep. So you can get people who come into power into positions of power that have a long-term vision and maybe strategic thinking or people that don't. Mm. And the easy thing is short-term. The the easy thing for anyone to make it, whether it's a private owner or or a fan-owned model, is money to the manager immediately because that can produce what seems like success instantly. Mm. I'd agree with you It's not, it's not actual success mm.
0: And it takes bravery For whether it's a private owner Or a fan well, owner Well I was there Say at Shells And you'll know this right Because the link again Goes back to Bose I was there at Shells The Deportivo stuff yeah. Right And the, the following season We went out and signed All the boys from Bose So I was at Shells The day Hawkins Bobby Ryan Crow All of them walked in Literally picked The six best players Seven best players And the joke then was We were like shellsky. I <laughs> remember che- Abramovich had just taken I was up. holding
2: the Judas flag at the yeah. side of the pitch at <laughs> <and> Daily <laughs> and then we we had
0: we had harder games in training than we were having because we had a, a squad of 22 yeah. of like top quality first team players yeah. but again it was a short term decision to try and win something on the pitch or get into Europe but it all fell flat in its face Yeah, yeah. you know
1: uh, I want to talk to the two years lads because about League of Ireland men um, like the League of Ireland right just say five years time what's your vision for the League of Ireland and where it should be Dan could I go to you with that force maybe yeah,
2: it won't change a lot in five years the biggest issue is is facilities and Alan said it earlier and facilities in Ireland like we've learned with Daily Mount are not a short term thing they're not even a medium term thing unfortunately they tend to be something that I think minimum sort of 7 to 15 years kind of as a period mm. Daily Mount is going to end up being when it's done 15 so I think that what needs to change and we've seen it now you have like you know ourselves sold out Pat sold out all the time um, Rovers Great crowds, bigger bigger stadiums so it's not as applicable um, and you've seen, I suppose, where someone like Dundalk or or, or Withdrawada, and similar to Daily Mount, like where they're, they're just not in good condition mm-hmm. at all. Sligo have good plans. They'll take time. Um, and I think that when you shift to facilities, and they should be done in a way where they don't lose the soul of the game we spoke about earlier, so they're not hypersanitized. They have a bit of personality about them, and hopefully they can stay in the locations they're in, like with Taco Park. Um, but that facility improvement enables income growth, better commercial partners, and it enables a lot of transformative stuff later. But I don't think right now there can be huge... We, we've kind of eaten up the growth area, right. thankfully, in the last couple of years and it's been really impressive. Great to see the away crowds, the you know, just the spotlight on the league. But I think that, that next stage is that facilities bit and the FAI document was great. But I don't think it's a... Even if there's buy-in politically, which hopefully there will be, the actual results aren't seen. So I know that might sound negative, but I think we have this big thing that needs to shift. You think of women's football. Like, you know, the the, the teams are playing in the men's stadiums. For me... That isn't the right time now. It has to be done, and we 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 were delighted we did that buzz. But I personally think that if those say say we did stadium with the size of home farm, where you're getting crowds mm-hmm. of seven eight hundred, and we've no we've no stadium infrastructure. But you know, in England and other leagues, if we had a group of stadium below what we're at in Dublin, where they were could hold a 1, thousand fifteen hundred, women's football should be there. Sell them out, yeah. create the buzz, go up we have women's teams playing say in Tala or, Daly or whatever. I would, agree, I would
0: agree with that Dan and the example of that is we used to have the uh, because we've covered all the men's cup finals for the last 7-8 years whatever it is and they had the women's cup final on before and they were doing a complete disservice to the yeah, women's yeah, game yeah, yeah. it, yeah. it wasn't fair stadium. it wasn't a standalone yeah. fixture you're putting the girls in playing their cup final their big showpiece day with 250 people in block A watching the match or whatever they've switched they've since changed it to Tala mm-hmm. and it's a standalone fixture they fill the place out it's a brilliant occasion a brilliant day for the girls and now the argument has turned out to the international team we're obviously doing really well okay. the World Cup is coming up but again I'll put them in the Aviva but to me stick them in Thala's filling out they're playing France again Thursday. 8000 sellout stadium Great brilliant atmosphere. everybody comes yeah. and, and grow it that way it instead that of way, going 100%. from 0 to 10 it was like when
2: Limerick went to play in Talmud I remember going to a Bose game yeah. there and you know okay. and it's not a positive thing there was yeah. nobody there it was, so I think and the, but that demonstrates the scale of the facilities issue it's not just the League of Ireland men's it's having there should be tiered stadium mm. infrastructure we're so far from that unfortunately and I think that'll be the big big shift I don't know what you think Alan but.
0: Yeah well the facilities thing has, has been a bugbear as I mentioned here, since i 2013 going back to like, like basic things like women's toilets and yeah. stuff like yeah, that the is the yeah. biggest issue Eric it really yeah. is you go to the grounds and all and you, you bring your kid to the ground yeah. and the toilets whatever so hopefully there, there's change happening but again as Daniel said that takes time a lot of time and investment and funding but the one thing I have noticed and he asked me the question earlier just about maybe the last year to 18 months all of a sudden there's an appetite politically which that was never there. And I genuinely feel it sincere with a lot of them. You know, I have no allegiance to any political party, but if there's anyone willing to get on board and help us and give us funding to improve the game and grow the game, I'm all for it. I think Labour are having a debate in the Dáil in a couple of weeks, the first time a, a soccer debate, I think, yeah. is going to take place over two two hours for, forever, I think. I'm not sure if there was everyone. Um, the but fact but, that the League of Ireland is out there in the ether now yeah. and it's being spoken in such circles like the government and all that can only be a good thing. 100% because we're, if we're ever going to grow, we are going to need some sort of government funding at some stage, because especially for the facilities. So that's something that I feel you mentioned in the next five years. If that can continue to grow as it's, as, as the appetite is getting bigger and, and stronger for it, that is something that I think we could look back here in five years and say, remember we had that conversation and you look at the amount of government people who were involved and genuinely want. Because the onus now, if you, if you even broaden out... The debate or the argument around not just the League of Ireland. The onus is on us now to develop our own players because they can't go to young lads. Yep. So we have to put resources in place here for them, which again needs government funding in terms of training grounds and facilities for these young, brilliant players. You mentioned them in the Leinster Senior Cup last night. None of them can go to England now until they're 18. Mm-hmm. So what facilities do they have and the coaches to give them the best possible training yeah. right now at this moment in time that young Nixon Ockerson will be playing in the next two years and then he'll play in playing the first team and then he might go when he's 20 and good luck to him. Mm-hmm. But, but Right now, his pathway is through the underage systems at Bohemians and then maybe playing Declan's first team score 50 goals and then he's gone and good luck to the kid but that's the pathway now so yeah. we need the best possible that we can provide for them in terms of Trevor Crawley yeah, whoever the, the manager yeah. the Derek Pender whoever it is that that's at that club looking after them and I think that's something in the next three to five years that we can definitely improve
1: uh, Dan I want to talk to you about the, um, the player contract issue uh, and the fact that you know all the clubs are using this term now uh, when we've signed a player now that's signed on a multi-year deal as opposed I suppose Boas were just handing out season by season contracts Um, and also you've spoken and Damien Duff has come out and said it as well um, that the league needs to get get together and talk about minimum fees and all
2: that can you elaborate a little bit on on, on all that yeah yeah so the multi-year one you know it's probably and there's different reasons for doing that um, but you often have you might have options option years so a club might be in a position where you could have a player for three years but there might be an option that needs to be executed in year two so the, the contract could be two or three years Okay. Um, so that'd be the reason you might put that in so that you're not setting it you know there might be a decision that yeah. needs to be made and, and there's lots of ways that those clauses can work there's ones where it's club only there's ones where it's both parties there's ones where it's number of games played in the, in the, in the season where the player plays over a certain amount the next year executes so there's there's loads of ways that can be done depending on the agent. Um to the minimum fees. Like, no, I know look I came out with this last year and it was a lot of maybe it was a year before. Like we we had a couple of contracts where there were get outs. They weren't near the level some of them were reported at they were there were six figure get outs so they weren't they weren't okay. you know and it's hard at the time to say anything but like they they weren't measly and the people that did Yeah, because I
1: suppose that the people were saying like I mean just just give an example. Like we one example I heard of was was um exposed player Mandrio at, at Rovers like went to Lincoln for like like 20 grand or something yeah. like that because I think, that was written in
2: his contract yeah I think that one might be accurate I won't get into it it's obviously another yeah. club but I think, that, and yeah. I think it was unusual circumstances there um, and to be fair like you know club has gotten much better Shamrock Rovers have gotten good fees Pats have yeah. uh, we have and that needs to happen for so everyone. it is improvement down do you think I think it is it's it's like I suppose you know we talk about we don't have any players right now and we would be like I, 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 I wouldn't as, as myself obviously Pats come in and we'd be meeting this morning um, uh, at the club and you know Bows won't be going for for get out clauses you know and we need to get away from them for sure but how do you build up i suppose the you know the fees paid for players i think first and foremost there's going to be two things that clubs look at the ability of the player but also the, the environment they're coming from and the environment they're coming from now is improving but it's still not a great environment um you know mainly due to due to, due to facilities and we've gotten better at bohemians with full-time coaches and you mentioned like Trevor's in our youth setup craigs and there we've we've also a grassroots um uh, paid grassroots positions you know so we're improving lots of other clubs are too, but we need to get the full thing, staff, the academic elements, the facility elements uh, and begin to command higher fees the league. And it should be seen like if a club gets half a million for a player I think we should be getting towards
0: that figure for yeah. our best young players good adults. I think, I think what, what's slightly changed there as well Dan is the reason we can command a better fees and for all the, the reasons Dan has outlined but I also think for years the perception across the water was that we were Mickey Mouse yeah. and they looked down their nose at us whereas now I think the perception is changing in terms of the structures it place at clubs and full time resources and, and you see the talent of the young boys coming through now as well so I think the, the viewpoint from across the water as well because I know clubs in England and people I would speak to that used to think that league over there, hand them whatever, a tenner. We'll, yeah, yeah. we'll, 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 as you said, ten grand, twenty yeah. grand, whatever. So but I they think were right as well, and because they like you yeah. have to remember
2: pre pre the academy system, which is probably you know probably this the, you know the most positive thing, one of the most positive things the FAI have done for the league uh, in the last number of years. Pre that, like League of Ireland teams didn't produce any players. Yeah. like they came through, Joey's or Kevin's or Belvedere or Stella or whoever it was. They came into a League of Ireland set up late. and yeah, League of Ireland had a role, but it wasn't it wasn't you know. The pathway The way it is now And now like we're spending You know a lot of money each mm. year As are other clubs It's a significant amount of money going in
0: um, And you have to try to recoup that Or your academy system doesn't work So you've well, got to that, That's a brilliant point Dan because yeah, and, and your best place to answer Because For years the firefighting That would have went on With League of Ireland clubs To run one club Like just how challenging is it To run five or six clubs Or or five or six teams
2: Yeah no well it's, You think of what we have now If you took a bow Bow's If you went say 2011 we have a men's team And four or five kids teams today we have men's women's uh, six academy teams boys and girls um you know all who want to play at the highest level full time full time staff head of academy and then we've 36 grassroots teams mm. so the number of players is it's, it's much harder to manage, is is the honest answer. But people like Craig on the positions, you have them at other clubs, full-time heads of academy with good facilities. We had a members meeting recently. We have a big announcement coming up shortly in terms of uh, another facility kind of infrastructure improvement that those. Um it's it's just for membership. Eric knows about it. But uh you know, these are key and money going to those areas. But on the flip side, if we can't have twenty academies in Ireland, and, and that needs to be something that you know is in the FAI's plan where you're going to end up with four or five top academies. I think that's what the country can sustain and what the clubs can sustain mm. uh, and those academies there's going to be tiered and players are going to move between them but the academies have to be able to generate income both between themselves and there's a new new arrangement in terms of domestic compensation last year we, we know f- uh, from the FAI worked on through the NLC where there's better rewards between academies to recognise that you shouldn't be able to take a player for five or six grand that club's invested in mm. and likewise now we need to get that figure up in terms of transfers but that's it's for the whole league. It's not good if one club can command high fees. So everyone needs, needs to buy into it. Everyone needs to get a higher fees, both transferring academy to academy um, and, and obviously go to the UK being the main market. It's essential.
1: Another thing I want to ask you about, Dan um, this union of European clubs, small and medium. Um, which I uh, I'm not sure you're behind or or you, you you joined or can you just tell us a little bit about that whole thing?
2: Yeah, you know, I've nothing to do with the establishment of it at all. I was asked to join the board of it. I joined the board a few weeks ago, uh, an interim board until November where there'll be a um a conference or a general assembly, and the the, the membership will then elect the board. Um, How many boards are you on? Uh, <laughs>
0: just just that just that one. <laughs> the you, so the the Bohemians, when you're not on the board, no, no, and I shouldn't be, and that's okay. why I'm not chief uh, chief executive officer. Like Bohemians, a fan on football club, okay. the decisions have to be made by the membership. Or it, but was there ever a time when you were on? You mentioned your dad here, and obviously you have a good relationship with your dad. But was there ever a time when you because you were on the board, the paths crossed. Ah, yeah, for years. Yeah. But but I mean, would there ever, ever a time where you'd be in a meeting like this and there'd be complete kind of anarchy in terms of what he wanted and what you want? <laughs>
2: no, not, not really. Or, or would, would you be, be always
0: singing off the same hymn yeah, sheet? The Bo,
2: with? Bo's board in general. I can not remember one time there was ever a split vote on an issue. In general, the, the board is... But I mean just with you
0: and your dad. Uh, yeah, the odd time, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you get that. Like, <laughs> but, uh,
2: but now the UEC, and I do think the UEC is going to become a big thing and a very important thing for Ireland Is is basically the easiest way to explain it. The ECA, I should say, the, the UEC is not is not is not being established to tackle the ECA or to, you know, to the, the two of them can exist, uh, you know, in harmony and exist as two institutions. The ECA is a European Clubs Association. Um, and how the ECA works is basically they have, they, on their website, it says that they're the sole representative body for professional clubs in Europe. But they have 130 clubs with an ordinary vote. So 130 clubs are representing, you know, 1,500 clubs. Uh, and and it's it's a little bit more tricky than that it's, it does, does an executive committee. You have some power, and the basis of the Union European clubs is that you have a consolidation of the game now um, happening all the time in terms of fewer and fewer clubs being able to qualify. And you think of someone like Legia Warsaw, they can win the Polish Premier Division. And they're not guaranteed mm. a place. If a, con- a country of forty million people mm. are not guaranteed group stage European football, where all the English teams are automatically in, and that's done for commercial reasons. So the game is becoming run by big by big finance and you even think of something like coefficients, and I heard a great quote over at the first UEC meeting, it was from uh, Matt Parrish, and he said that the coefficient system is the gerrymandering of football. And what he means by that, I suppose, is that in football, because you've been good for five or six years, shouldn't mean that you have an advantage over a team who does well next year. Right. That's not how football should work in the moment, in the season that you yeah. exist in. And this idea of coefficients is about ensuring that if you're a big club mm. and you have a bad year, oh, you're back in. Mm. And, and you know, and but the reason for the UEC is basically a democratic, uh, one club, one vote system that's open to all clubs in Europe, and we're built. The membership is growing rapidly, um, and the idea being really that you go to, you know,
1: is that for the say the other. Uh, so you mentioned the hundred and thirty clubs that are in the other associations. So you're saying the other fifteen hundred, the balance, they're all kind of joining well, you the can, smaller. You can be in both, and it's
2: not for, right, okay. and even it's not even for small or medium clubs. You oh, okay. think of a club like, I suppose. Take uh, Brighton, who were at the meeting, the, the, the first meeting in Brussels a few weeks ago. I say they are. Br- Brighton are there, Brighton are there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, next. but they are a small club, yeah. but, but they don't have a voice in Europe. You know? So there's different levels. It's not yeah. about big or small. It's about there's very few clubs make a lot of decisions uh, in Europe and decisions that have far-reaching implications. Mm. Let's take for a second, right, the UEFA Conference League. On the face of it, a brilliant thing. So, for the first time now, it's very unlikely that the league winner doesn't qualify for that. It's quite an easy route, and that's not knocking what well. No yeah, yeah, have yeah, achieved. Yeah. It, yeah. it is a much easier route. So, in the past, we've ne- we have never had, you know, we had one or two small examples where, like, and brilliant achievements with Rovers and Dundalk. Group stages, yeah. But it was, it was such an amount of kind of not look, like, kind of you need, things needed to go your way. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah it but was the, a monumental achievement it was. Like, and it couldn't be know. repeated. Yeah. But
2: now, with the, with the, if you think of the Conference League, from the outside, an Irish club now should qualify each year. A brilliant thing. But actually, you look at that, Ireland had no, no say in that as a league. And for me, it, it's a great thing in one way, but also a really worrying thing. Because the difference between the team who finished second, third, and the cup winner or fourth, they can't get by the third qualifying round. Just look at the stats on it. No one's done it. You won't get by the third qualifying. We've done it. Sligo's done it. Pats have done it, where they've gone through three rounds. 750k gross. About 500 net when you're in the way the, the travel, bonuses travel. and travel. But the team who wins the league is in line for 3.5 million. That's going to create massive income disparity, right? And if someone does it consistently, we run the risk of creating a league like Scotland, and you know, and that, that's just. But that issue isn't considered. So, union European clubs, the idea being that everyone can join equally, whether you're have Sligo any other clubs joined then? Yeah, they have, and yep. I'm probably not. I, I, it's up to them if they've announced it, and it'll obviously become public in time. I won't say where they are, but okay. number of, number of clubs have joined. The Great. membership has grown, and I think it has. It's going to become a really important body, in my opinion, and you know, to link in with UEFA properly, hopefully. And to have representation where you've got the ECA who represent clubs who are playing basically consistently in Europe, and then someone to represent the majority who also deserve a voice mm. and at decisions at a European level impact them and their leagues so that's that's what it is, and hopefully be more on it um
1: so like we, we touched on it briefly there as well. Uh, uh, Dan, than the growth of the women's game and Bowes are only was it third year, third year as a, a senior women's team? Is it third, th- fourth year? Fourth. Fourth year. Yeah. Um and already twice, three times this season we've seen the League of Ireland attendance record being broken, once a daily and then obviously in Talla. Um like how important is uh is is, is Bose, uh to have a women's team and to you know to to, to encourage and support women in, 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 in as as a whole in, in football in Ireland today?
2: Oh, it's, it's look, it's it's brilliant that so many clubs and, and and only two seasons ago, I think we were the only Premier Division club with a women's team, and um, you know once, once obviously shells were promoted, now we see Sligo, we see Shamrock Rovers, I know parts of a plan and the pathway, I think, and it's it's look, it's brilliant. I would say on the other side of it that it's it it is it's, it is still still challenging in terms of like the facilities you mentioned. Um, funding you know and we need to build the crowds which is thankfully the crowds need to be and we've been managing obviously to grow our crowds as of other clubs I know we had a back and forth recently where there was attendance that's been broken which is brilliant but I think the World Cup is going to do that so much good, you know, a, a big event like that, mm. and for, for young kids, to it's the women's version of Italian 90, right? yeah, really. It? Amazing. Yeah. It's
0: amazing, it's and incredible, incredible, yeah. And it's you're awesome.
1: gonna be working on it, Al. I'm working on it, oh, you'll be doing your forward, homework, which, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always do the homework, that's the key. Are you, you flying out do are you? No,
0: <laughs> doing it from here. Well, you need to get out, yeah. Or do you haven't got the money? Or do you haven't got the money? I don't know if you heard the news recently. no do
2: got it sponsored now.
0: <laughs> okay lads
1: okay no you need that man Noel Kelly sir anyway no I am I am man <laughs> I'm
0: really looking forward to it. and it will be like And I was in Hamden night to qualify and it was just incredible Um follow them now like we've been covering the games for the last three or four years even when they were like developing and getting close and then they had the disappointment obviously and not qualifying the last major tournament but so to see them do it and that night in Hamden was just wow. and even you go back to like Amber Barrett that goal that goal is like a Ray Houghton type goal like that'll be remembering but in also f-
1: the emotion as it well of unbelievable or... the unbelievable I was getting emotional like,
0: yeah. because I, I spotted straight away what she did yeah, and she went down to that the, the corner flag there was a cameraman pointing to the armband of obviously what happened and Kate McKay very re- quickly realised because he almost
1: to to jump on, yeah. and she backed them all it off. i no, Have a moment. Yeah, it, was, it was a
0: beautiful thing. And then Vera, I've met Vera a few times and interviewed her, and she's real infectious, and yeah. you kind of want to get behind them and support them. And so it will be. That'll be an unbelievable uh, event now in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a a, a line in the sand
1: moment for Irish women's football. I think it's and, the and, game's going to grow. And usually. again, I
0: suppose Eric, like going back to. The negativity around, like, uh, our international team years ago and when when we didn't capitalise on Italia 90 when it was happening. Hopefully now, for all the things we've outlined in terms of the women's game trying to grow on facilities and funding, that they will capitalise on this event because it'll be absolutely huge, like...
1: Brilliant Right well lads You two could talk all day And I'd listen to you all day But we have rapidly Run out of time And uh, uh, Before I go I'd like to thank uh, uh, my, my regular Regular co-host you, Alan Eric. Colley Thanks for coming Best Pleasure. of luck With negotiating a contract With RTE And uh, <laughs> and of course the uh, and, and Dan Lambert From Bose Dan thanks very much For joining us Fascinating yeah, no insight And uh, yes yeah, So that was uh, me Eric Lawler With House of Football And Sports Show And William Hill We'll be back Same time next week Tune in Subscribe Tell your mate Share You know the story See us next week
0: You've been listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill.